you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Just looking at one verse this morning as we continue on with our short little sermon series to start the year, All In on Community. As we take this year to focus on the community that God has placed us in. And how we are to respond to that. How we are to act with inside of that community. And the things that, what that looks like. And how that can have a great impact for the kingdom of God. As people see the gospel in action and hear the gospel in truth. And so that community sometimes looks like our church. And sometimes it looks like Vandalia. And sometimes it looks much bigger, much, much bigger than that. Last week we looked at community in the context of our gifts as we looked at 1 Peter. And Peter tells us that if we're going to act like a community through the Holy Spirit, then we must love one another with great forgiveness. That we must show hospitality to one another. Though it may cost us not only physical possessions, but it may cost us heartache and heartbreak. We, uh, and then he goes on and the place that we really kind of dwelt on a little bit was about gifts that... The Lord has blessed us with material gifts, that He's blessed us with, uh, some of us with disposable income more than others sometimes, that He has blessed us with a home, that He's blessed many of us with food in our fridge and not having to worry about where that's going to come from. And, that, and then at the same time, He's also blessed us with spiritual gifts. And some of us He's blessed with speaking gifts like teaching or preaching or evangelism or words of encouragement. For others of us, He has given us acts of service that are our gift, whether that be hospitality or whether that be generosity, whether it be acts of mercy. But He's, all, he's given each one of us spiritual gifts as well. And together we are to use those things in the community of the church, in the body of Christ where He has put us. To the best of our abilities. At the same time, we had a quick warning at the end of that. That we are not to use that as an excuse not to obey. Because so often we hear of a need in the church. And we hide behind the phrase. Well, that's not my gift. But that's not what you tell a king. That's not what you tell a father. Well, that's not my gift. So I'm going to choose not to do that. But rather we obey when we hear of a need and what he tells us. And so last week we looked at gifts. This week we turn our attention to encouragement. If we're going to be all in on community, then part of that is how we communicate to one another. How we encourage one another. And what you see throughout God's word is you see the very character of God. You see him encouraging his people. And then you see him give the command to us to encourage one another. For us to speak well to one another. And so that's what we're going to take a quick look at this morning. And so hopefully by now you found Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. If you would stand with me that we may honor the reading of God's word this morning. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, in many ways, this is such a simple verse. Lord, this is such a simple command that you have given by the Holy Spirit through your Apostle Paul to us, and yet, 
it is probably one of the hardest things that you have called us to do. To control our tongue. To watch what comes out of our mouth. So that it may be used for grace instead of disaster. Father, I pray this morning that as we go through this verse together, as a body and as a family, that we would take it to heart. Lord, that we would take great care to inspect ourselves and to inspect what's coming out of our mouth. Lord, that we may repent, Lord, as Isaiah did. Lord, I am a man of unclean lips. And yet, Lord, we see in that passage, you purify him. You make him clean for your purposes, that he may go out and speak the truth. Lord, may we grab a hold of that. May we do the same. We pray this in the beautiful, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we look at this passage or this verse this morning, we need to kind of take a quick step back and look at the passage as a whole. Paul is talking here in the second part of chapter 4 about getting rid of the old, out with the old, and in with the new. He says this in verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And then going down in verse 22, he says, Put us off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul wants to make it clear that if we are going to call ourselves followers of Christ that we must replace the old self or more accurately that we must allow Christ to replace the old self that we put on a new self that is in his image and this is an ongoing process this doesn't happen overnight but rather we understand that it's a process of sanctification a slow turning of every day, of every moment, of God teaching us and God through the Holy Spirit making us new. Things that we can only do through the Holy Spirit. And he goes through a list of things. He says there are several things that this looks like. Starting in verse 25, he says, put away falsehood, put away lying, rather speak the truth. He says, be angry but do not sin. There's a way to be angry. And there are things we should be angry about in a way that it doesn't control us. In a way that it doesn't drive us and therefore we do not sin. But he says, be angry and do not sin. And do not let anger go down. Do not let sun go down on your anger. He says, he, t- he commands the thief to no longer steal but rather to work. He says, don't let corrupting language come out of your mouth but that which will edify. He says, don't grieve the spirit. He says, don't have bitterness and wrath and anger towards other people, but rather be tenderhearted, <coughs> excuse me, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Throughout this passage, he's proclaiming, you are not the same person that you were before Christ. You are new. You've been given a new heart. Your eyes have been opened. All these things that scripture uses to describe what has happened to us. Jesus maybe puts it the best, of course, saying that we have been born again. We're a new creation. No longer should we desire those things that defined us before, but rather we should desire all new things. 
And all of those things, all of the new things, he says, are parts of the character of God that make us look more like Christ as we continue on towards our journey towards eternal life with him. So we replace the old self. That's the context of what this verse is in. That, that's where we're coming from. And one of the things that we listed on that list is our verse where it says, Stop with the corrupting talk. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. When we, and that word corrupting there, really, it, in the Greek, it gives a very distinct picture. It's the idea of like rotting fruit. Let no corruption come out of your mouth. When I lived in Madagascar, the, the town that I lived in for the majority, the city that I lived in for the majority of my time, had the largest outdoor of a, uh, market in Madagascar. And that was the cheapest place to buy anything. And by anything, I mean anything. You could buy clothes. You could buy um, food. You could buy batteries, car parts. You name it, you could pretty well get it there. But I hated going to that place. It was the cheapest place to buy stuff. It was the easiest place to buy stuff. But I hated going there. Because no matter where you wanted to go, no matter if you were looking to buy a t-shirt or you were looking to buy food or you were looking to buy a car part, uh, it didn't matter. You had to go through or very close to the fish market. And it was bad. It was, most of it was dried out fish that they had imported from the sea catches. But some of it was like these little fish that they would pull out of the lakes that had been out all day long in the sun. And it just smelled rancid. Like, it didn't matter if you were in the middle of it or you were within 100 feet of it. Like, it was awful. And it never failed. Like, I was always like, you know what? Usually the wind blows this way, so I'm going to go in this direction. And, and the wind would always switch. Like, it was awful. It was awful. That is the picture that Paul is painting of what comes out of our mouth when we have corruption in, in, in our speech. That we open our mouth and what flows out of it is sour and putrid and spoiled. Stinky words, as I told the kids. You are, that's what we spew out of our mouth. And Paul just simply says here, by the, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, stop it. Stop it. What do those things look like? What does that corrupting talk look like? Gossip? Flattery? I recently heard a, a, great, a great way to remember what those things are. Gossip is that which you say behind someone's back that you would never say to their face. Flattery is that which you say to someone's face that you would never say behind their back. Gossip and flattery, belittling or disparaging remarks, discouragement, all of these are part of the filth that can come out of our mouth, the stink that can come out of and off of our tongue. And the Bible goes on, we, we see in James, control the tongue, be careful about what comes out of it. Because it can start all kinds of problems. So Paul says to stop that. But then he doesn't just say stop. He doesn't say just empty your mouth of what is bad and what is putrid. But rather he says fill it with something. Don't leave your mouth just as an empty cavern to shove food in. But rather put something else in it. What is it that he says to put in it? He says there in the next part of our passage. He says but only 
such as, as is good for building up. If you have the NIV, it says let uh, what is only helpful for building up. So we need to have good words. We get rid of the corruption. We get rid of what stinks and we fill it rather with that which is good. That which builds up. That's wh- that with which encourages. Where do those good words come from? They come from the word of God. This is, we say, the good word. This is the original. And so this should be on our lips. It, we believe, do we not, that this has everything we need for life. That this is our satisfaction. That this is everything. It is our direction for life. And that it speaks to all of the things that we deal with in life. In one manner or another. And so this should be what fills our mouth. It doesn't mean that we go around and we quote verses day in and day out, every moment of every day. There's really no verse that says, go feed that animal, though there are some that say feed my sheep. But like giving directions, obviously, okay? But we know that we can do that in a manner which the Spirit leads us to. We can do that with kindness. We can do that with encouragement rather than it being something that that is hurtful. And so this word has to be in our heart so that we may have it come out of our mouths. He goes on here, though. It's not just enough to have the right words. But Paul says that it should fit the occasion. It should fit the occasion. I love the way the NIV translates this. They say, say only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs. It's not enough just to have the right words. But we have to be able to discern, we have to be able to discern when to say that particular word. I had a friend of mine who I I love dearly who gives me a great example of this, or maybe not a great example, maybe a horrible example of this. But when I was was teaching at HLG before uh, I'd left for Madagascar, long before I'd met Melissa, I, I had dated this young lady. She was she was a believer, she loved missions. I we thought it was a match. Thought it was headed towards marriage. And then one day, out of the blue, with no explanation, she ended it. Uh, and just devastated me. And didn't understand why it had happened. Didn't understand what was going on. And I had a friend of mine come to me. And, and I had lots of people come up. And they, they would hug me and encourage me and do all this other stuff. And much of which I was like, get away from me. But I had one friend come up to me. And he goes, man, this stinks. And I'm like, yeah, it does. And he goes, I think she's possessed. Brother, that is a good word, but that is not for the occasion. That is the wrong occasion. I I don't think she's possessed. I may think she's wrong. (laughs) I may think I deserve an explanation, but I don't think we need to do an exorcism. But we can do that sometimes, don't we? We get in a situation and and we don't know what to say, but we want to say something. And so we just blurt out a good word, but it's not the right word for the occasion. There are times when we need to give a word of encouragement. Instead, we give a word of rebuke. There are times when we need to be careful and kind with our words. And instead, we, we just say whatever comes to our mind instead of speaking out of love and kindness. We need to be careful that we don't just have a good word on our lips. But we have a good word for the right occasion. That we have that which is helpful telling someone who just broke up that we need to do an exorcism. Not helpful. Not helpful at all. 
However, I had, a, I had another friend, same thing, that he came up to me, and all he did was he walked up to me, and he gave me a hug, and he said, this stinks. What do you need? This stinks. What do you need? Man, that was freeing. It was nice to be able to have someone to recognize that this was just a bad situation in life. Nobody was right. Nobody was wrong. It was just a bad situation. It was just freeing to be able to do that. The right words and the right occasion can make a difference. As Paul says here in Ephesians, they can show grace towards the individual. So what does that look like for the occasions? Well, we need good words for good times. There are times in the life of those in our community where life is great, where good things happen. And we need to be the first on the scene to say, we're excited for you. We want to celebrate this. We want to be there for this. When are we throwing the party? Sometimes we don't do that, though. Sometimes we keep our distance. Sometimes we get a little jealous, right? That creeps in there. We're like, oh, why couldn't that happen for me? But let us have good words for good times. At the same time, we need to have good words for the bad times. We need to have good words for the difficult times. We all go through those. Through illness, through the loss of a loved one, through the loss of a job, through the destruction of a dream that we might have. We all need to have some, we all have those times when things just go wrong. Sometimes they're our fault, sometimes they're not. And as again, as the community of believers, we need to be the first ones on the scene to say, this stinks. I'm sorry. How can I pray for you? To have other words of encouragement as the Lord leads us, good words, words of, of truth for those situations. Sometimes we need just words of encouragement. Now that may seem like, yeah, you, you kind of made that your whole point, but what I mean by that is this. Sometimes when you're in community with people, sometimes when you're in family with one another, we identify gifts and talents and direction before that person does. There's times that we look at a person, we're like, you are incredibly gifted in this. Like, man, where can we find an avenue to use that? Man, you love this. Why don't, why don't we find a way to, to use that in the context of the church? Sometimes we identify that. We, as the outside person in that situation, we identify it before the individual does. And we need to be encouraging. You're going the right way. You're doing, you're doing a good work here. Keep going. Man, those, when, when you're in the midst sometimes of obeying God, it's not a great place. <laughs> sometimes when you're obeying God, it is difficult. Because Satan, Satan doesn't want you there. He doesn't want you to be obeying, so he makes it difficult on you. And sometimes you need somebody to say, keep going. You're doing the right thing. You're on the right track. I know it's hard, but, but trust me, you're, you're in God's will. You're going the right direction. Does it matter if you're a pastor or a missionary or a lay person? We all experience that. We all need that encouragement. So we need words for good times. We need good words for difficult times. We need good words for encouragement. And we need good words for correction. We tend to shy away from this one. We, well, I say we shy away. We end up doing two things, really. We end up either shying away from it because we're afraid of things like, well, you've got a log in your own eye, so get away from me. Or we go the other direction and we, we think, well, they just need to hear the truth. And, and we deliver that in some very unkind ways sometimes. 
There's a, there's a middle ground there. We need good words for correction. To see a brother or a sister in Christ who is going down a wrong path. Who is believing a lie. And to step in front of them and say, friends, I love you too much to watch this continue. To step in front of them and say, hey, can, you read, can we read this passage together? Can we read this verse together? What, what does this mean to you? What do you think this says? And help them to see an error. Maybe to step in front of a friend and say, what do you, what's going on? What's the story here? Because this isn't you. This isn't who Christ made you to be. What's going on? Oh, brothers and sisters, how we need good, we need good words for encouragement, but we also need good words of correction. How many times have you had a friend that has stepped in and done that? I think back in my own life, several times when I've had good friends, good mentors, who cared enough about me not to just flatter me, but to step in and say, I see this and it worries me. What's going on? What's behind this? Because that's not your normal MO. That's not the MO of Christ. Oh, that we would learn how to have good words from the word of God to be able to speak into each other's life at the appropriate time and the appropriate occasion that, as Paul says, it may be of grace. There at the end of 29. That it may give grace to those who hear or as the NIV says, that it may benefit those who listen. My guess is, is that if we, if we stop now and we were bold, many of us could have that testimony of times when someone has stepped into our life at the appropriate time, at the appropriate occasion, and had given us the good word. And it changed everything. It freed us to grieve in the way that we needed to grieve. It freed us to move on in, a, in the way that we needed to move on. It turned us around from going down a path that we shouldn't have been on in the first place and returned to the, the right path, the narrow path. That it encouraged us to pursue things that we never thought we could do. But the, through the grace of God and through the grace of someone else, that it, it pushed us forward in a direction that ended up changing everything as God blessed it. Oh, that we would learn good words in the right occasion. But how do we do that? How do we do that? First, we must draw closer to God. We must draw closer to God. If we desire to have good words in our lips, then we must know the good word. We must know Him. We must know His heart. I mentioned earlier Isaiah's story. Incredible picture in the, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah gets this vision of God. And he's standing before the throne. And God fills the throne room and his robe fills it. And the, his glory shines incredibly. And he sees the vision of the angels around it. And he stands in the presence of a holy God. And Isaiah just loses it. Isaiah is like, I'm a dead man. I don't deserve to be here. I am unclean. I don't deserve to look at this. And what does he say? He says, I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. He recognizes the words that come out of his mouth are stinky words. The words coming out of his mouth are not glorifying. They are not edifying. 
they are not worthy of the God that he serves. And yet we see in that story, God does not leave him in that fashion, does he? But rather, God sends an angel who takes a coal from the altar, that which purified, and he touches Isaiah's lips with it. He makes him clean. That which he confessed, that which he acknowledged, this is what I struggle with, this is what is hard. He, God cleanses that, God changes that. And then what is the very next thing that happens? He sends him out to proclaim truth. That which Isaiah saw as a weakness, that which Isaiah saw as unclean, that which Isaiah said was a hindrance to him, now God changes it through his power into something that he can use. Oh, brothers and sisters, we are a people of unclean lips. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to gossip. It's so easy to flatter. It's so easy to say the disparaging remark. It's so easy to say the joke at someone else's expense. It's so easy. Oh, how we need the blood of Christ to cleanse. So that God can use it for his good. If we desire to be a community of God that shows the love of Christ to others that shows the gospel to those outside of our walls, then we must be serious about what comes over our lips. And the only way that that changes is for us to draw closer to him. The second thing is we must draw closer to each other. How do you know what is the right occasion? How do you know that which will be good for them? How do you know that which will be beneficial? How do you know to not say, She's got a demon. <laughs> how do you know how to say just this stinks? You got to know the people. You got to know the person. You got to know their story. You got to be willing to listen. That's community. Community doesn't happen in isolation. Community doesn't happen when we all just stay home. Community doesn't happen when, when we isolate ourselves from brothers and sisters in Christ and just try to do it on our own. Community happens when we come together, when we let other people hear our stories, when we as the other people listen, then we can know the right place, then we can know the right occasion, then we can know the right good word, but it all has to, we all have to come together on that, we all have to allow them some things to happen. Now, let me confess, that's not easy. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to let people in. Remember what we talked about with hospitality last week? It's a command of God, and yet hospitality so often can lead to heartbreak. You think it should turn out one way, and it turns out another way. You think you're making progress with an individual, and then they turn around, and they do the exact opposite of what you think they should do, or they say something, or they act a certain way, and it hurts. Yeah, that happens. This is what happens when you deal with people. Welcome to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Welcome to what we've been commanded to do. It hurts sometimes. But we sang this morning that he is sufficient. We sang this morning that he is worth it all. We sang this morning that all we could ever want is wrapped up in him. So what does it matter? We can get over it. We can, by his power and by his grace, we can move on. 
Let us only be obedient to what he has commanded us. And what he has commanded is community. What he has commanded is we come together closer to each other and closer to him. This morning, as we kind of step into just a time of response of God's, to God's word, maybe this morning you're just really convicted about the words that come out of your mouth. Maybe they're words that you say to a spouse or a friend or a child or a parent or a grandparent or a friend or a coworker. And this morning, you're like Isaiah, and you just stand before a holy God, and you're like, I've screwed up. Oh, I pray that you'll confess that and know that he cleanses, to know that he is quick to forgive in a way that we can barely understand, that he cleanses us so that he can use us. Maybe this morning, you just want, you want to be that person. You want to be obedient, to be the one that says the good word in the right occasion. I would just pray and ask him for that. Pray for wisdom. Make dedication this morning. I'm, I'm going to pursue him. Maybe this morning you need to make a commitment to community. Maybe that looks like just making a commitment to here, maybe on, on Sunday mornings, or, or making a commitment to Sunday school or to a small group. Maybe it means making a commitment to have people in your home on a regular basis to say, I, I, we just want to know you a little better. We want to we hear your story. We, and that doesn't happen to happen on the first night, by the way. Please don't invite somebody over for the very first time and that night say, hey, we want to hear your life story. Go. Please don't do that. Get to know them a little bit first. Maybe play some exploding kittens. Okay? Have a good time. But do it with a purpose. We're going to get to know some people. We're going to invite some people into our homes. They're going to know us and we're going to know them so that we have the right words for the right occasion for the benefit of the body of Christ and the benefit of the community in the outside. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're like, I don't understand any of this. I don't understand community. I don't understand forgiveness. I don't understand any of it. What are you talking about? We would love to talk to you about Christ. We'd love to talk to you about our Savior and why we need Him and what He has done in our lives. Come find us. You can come find us during this time. You can come find us after the service, me or really anyone here. We'd love to talk to you about it. This morning, though, you respond as God would have you. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're just going to have a quick time of prayer and then you would stand with us and sing at that time, that'd be great. But if you need to come to the altar, that'd be great too. Maybe you need to pray at your seat, but you respond. Father.